Eternal, righteous, and holy Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to be among the living today. This life has not been secured by our righteousness or holiness. We understand that. We know it is a token of your love and your kindness towards us. Therefore, we say, may all praise, glory, honor, and adoration be unto your name now and forevermore. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray that as we fellowship with you now, we shall be brought nearer to you and that the character of Christ may be imparted upon us. I ask for the gift of your spirit to help us to rightly divide the word of truth and to learn lessons that are important to know on our journey to our eternal home. Please consecrate me to your service, dear Lord, and put your words in my mouth that I may bless all who listen. Do this and take the glory. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, December 14 To Caesar I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. For if I be an offender, or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Acts chapter 25 verse 10 and 11 Once more, because of hatred born of bigotry and self-righteousness, a servant of God was driven to turn from protection to the heathen. It was this same hatred that forced the prophet Elijah to flee for succor to the widow of Sarepta, and that forced the heralds of the gospel to turn from the Jews to proclaim their message to the Gentiles. And this hatred the people of God living in this age have yet to meet. Among many of the professing followers of Christ, there is the same pride for moralism and selfishness, the same spirit of oppression that held so large a place in the Jewish heart. In the great crisis through which they are soon to pass, the faithful servants of God will encounter the same hardness of heart, the same cruel determination, the same unyielding hatred. All who in that evil day would fearlessly serve God according to the dictates of conscience will need courage, firmness, and a knowledge of God and His Word. For those who are true to God will be persecuted, their motives will be impugned, their best efforts misinterpreted, and their names cast out as evil. Satan will work with all his deceptive power to influence the heart and becloud the understanding, to make evil appear good and good evil. God desires his people to prepare for the soon coming crisis. Those only who have brought their lives into conformity to the divine standard will stand firm at that time of test and trial. When secular rulers unite with ministers of religion, to dictate in matters of conscience, then it will be seen who really fear and serve God. When the darkness is deepest, the light of a godlike character will shine the brightest, and while the enemies of truth are on every side, watching the Lord's servants for evil, 
God will watch over them for good. He will be to them as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is To Caesar. And I just want to summarize what happens to Paul in this situation. Paul determined to go back to Jerusalem. And the prophecy given to him by Agabus was that when he gets there, he's going to be bound in chains and be a prisoner. He knew quite alright that this was what was going to happen and he went nevertheless because that's where the Holy Spirit was leading him to. When he got there, because of the nature of the work he was doing, what do you expect the devil to do? We have already seen in the book of Revelation 12 that the devil, we are told, has great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. But this wrath is not just a besetting wrath that is one that doesn't have any particular direction or aim. It is aimed at those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And no other person will receive the wrath of Satan more than not those who do not just stop at living a holy life, but like Paul, goes further to make sacrifices, to preach to others that they may be like himself, that they may be commandment keepers, that they may be brought into the kingdom of God. There is no greater threat that Satan has on this earth than the captains of the Lord's army, those who, like Paul and all the apostles, will give themselves wholly to the preaching of the gospel. And also, the Lord himself accords to such ones greater protection because he knows that they are doing a great work. So, those who are doing such work have angels accorded to them. Like we just read in the devotion at the end, the last part of it says in Conflict and Courage, page 354, paragraph 4, While the enemies of truth are on every side, watching the Lord's servants for evil, God will watch over them for good. He will be to them as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. End of quote. So it shouldn't be something that we are afraid of to do this kind of work. To drink of the cup of the Lord and be baptized with the baptism of the Lord is the highest honor you can get. If you say, oh, because of the dangers that accords one who is an apostle, one who does the missionary work, one who preaches the word of God and helps others to come out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord. If you say, oh, they are subjects of Satan's constant attack because Satan does attack them. If you are afraid of that, then because of that you run away and say oh i don't want to do this kind of work then you are also denying yourself the greatest honor that you can get you are also denying yourself the greatest blessing of having god watching over you for good and him being to you a shadow of a great rock in a weary land it is something to covet you know paul said in the book of first corinthians chapter 14 and he was speaking about the gifts, the spiritual gifts. He said, I want you to have the gifts, but that you should covet to prophesy. What is to prophesy? To break down the word of God to people that they may know the truth, to explain to people that they may come out of darkness into light. This was Paul's work. And he was being tormented, persecuted, and afflicted by the devil because of it. And God permitted it to be so. There was a great warfare anywhere Paul goes to. And his name was known all over. The Jews knew him. First of all, remember he was a persecutor, so he was not someone that people didn't know. They knew him very well. But while he now started to um, preach the word of God, these same Jews who were once on his side, whom he used to work with, they were always after him. When he went to Iconium and went to Lystra, those were the places where they tormented his life. They stoned him in that place. Another time they beat him up when he was in uh, Philippi, when he wa- was with uh, Silas in Philippi. In Ephesus also, they raised up a riot against him. So many places, Paul, anywhere he went to, in Corinth, in Thessalonica, in Philippi, in Macedo- the whole of Macedonia, in Iconium, in Lystra, in Derby, 
all of it. Derby was where he was stoned. Actually, if Timothy was there when that happened, he was still a young boy. That he faced so much persecution everywhere. He was not in Jerusalem at the time. He finally decided to go back to Jerusalem when he went there, which is the headquarters of Satan's army in Jerusalem, because that was where he even received commission from Annas, the high priest, to go and persecute the Christians and kill them and lock them up in prison. It was in Jerusalem. Now he went back there. When he went back there, he went to the sanctuary and we will talk about him going to the temple, what led to that. That's going to be the main part of our devotion today. But for now, let's understand the story. When he went to that place, to this temple, and the people saw him, they raised up a riot against him. That day, they beat him up again, if not for the Roman soldiers that came there to save him. Reading from Acts chapter 21, from verse 27, it says, And when seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him, that's in Paul, in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and had polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and an Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul, and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating Paul. Then the chief captain came there and took him, and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and demanded who he was and what he had done. So here it is that, you see, I just wanted to point out that Paul was beaten when he came to Jerusalem. It was after this that he went before Festus and Felix and Agrippa, and eventually, when he was with um, Festus and Felix, he appealed to Caesar. In other words, because he was in Jerusalem and realized, first of all, Felix, the first person he was with, did not want to release him because he was expecting Paul to give him money. Paul stayed in prison for two years instead of giving Felix money. He was preaching in the prison two years before Festus came. When Festus came, Festus wanted to hear him again. King Agrippa and Festus listened to, to Paul and they said, well, I would have released you. That's what Agrippa told him. We would have released you. But since you appealed to Caesar, then you will go to Caesar. That was what happened to Paul. Now, what we see from here is this. The same thing that happened to Paul will always happen to us, which is that people will always malign what you do when you are doing the work of God. So, settle in your mind that you will be misinterpreted, your words will be taken out of context. Look at what they said here, that he brought somebody into the temple who was a Greek. We read now that they supposed that he brought Trophimus, a an efficient, but he didn't bring any efficient into the temple. They brought up false news about Paul. They hated him, so they would twist his words out of context. So that was what they used as a pretext to beat him up and wanted to kill him. But what was the real problem? It was because he's pre preaching the truth. That was the reason. And Satan will always come against those who are preaching the truth as it is in Jesus, either by persecution or in our day by enticement to be drawn away from the work that you are doing with the cares of this life, with money, with the attractions and pleasures that this world has to give. 
those are the two ways that Satan works. Either he uses persecution or he uses distractions and um, the pleasures of this life. But who were the people that were persecuting Paul? So his fellow Jews. And let it not surprise you when people who are so-called of the same faith as yourself in your own church will start to persecute you when you start to follow after the truth and to preach it. We are told in Conflict and Courage, page 354, paragraph 2, among many of the professing followers of Christ, there is the same pride, formalism and selfishness, the same spirit of oppression that held so large a place in their Jewish heart. In the great crisis through which they are soon to pass, the faithful servants of God will encounter the same hardness of heart, the same cruel determination, the same unyielding hatred. And going on to paragraph 3, it says, All who in that day would fearlessly serve God according to the dictates of conscience, this is very important, will need courage. So, here is a lesson for us. We must be courageous. Secondly, it says, firmness and in knowledge of God and his word. For those who are true to God will be persecuted, their motives will be impugned, their best efforts misinterpreted, and their names cast out as evil. Satan will work with all his deceptive power to influence the heart and be cloudy understanding to make evil appear good and good evil. So, it's just good to know that this is what befalls those who preach the word of God. So prepare for it, be firm, be courageous, and also you have to know the word of God so that you can rightly divide the word of truth. Having said that, what I want us to focus on today is what was it that led to Paul in the first place being taken from the temple? There was a flaw among the Christians at the time. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he went to meet his fellow brothers and sisters, the Christians, and there was a problem with them. And so the decision they made was what brought Paul into this particular distress. Acts 21, reading from verse 17, says, And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. Now Luke is the one writing, when he says with us, that is with Luke and the other people that Paul came with, which includes that man Trophimus, they all went to meet James, and all the elders were present. And when Paul had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee, that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together. For they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. And touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. Maybe you didn't. Okay, so what really went on here? These men in Jerusalem, something had gone wrong with them. They are telling Paul, the people in Jerusalem are angry with you because they say that when you are going among the Gentiles, that you are telling the Jews there to stop following the ceremonial laws, the law of Moses. Was it true that Paul was saying that? Yes, it is true. He told them that circumcision was not necessary and he made it clear to them that all those laws were abolished. 
Was it true? Yes. Now, they are telling him, please, so that it will not look like you are saying that to them. Follow these men who are following the ceremonial law, who, are Naz- who have Nazarite vow on them. They are going to cut their hair in the temple. So follow them and show them that you have not neglected the Mosaic law. But we know that it is not necessary. You know, we've also told the Gentiles that they don't need to follow those things. That is just to abstain from blood and fornication and from things sacrificed to idols. We all know that. But just for their sake, act as though you are following the, the ceremonial law. This was wrong. Reading from the book, from the Spirit of Prophecy, Acts of the Apostles, page 400, to explain this from paragraph 2, it says, Several years had passed since the brethren in Jerusalem, with representatives from other leading churches, gave careful consideration to the perplexing questions that had risen over methods followed by those who were laboring for the Gentiles. As a result of this council, the brethren had united in making definite recommendations to the churches concerning certain rites and customs, including circumcision. It was at this general council that the brethren had also united in commending the Christian churches, Barnabas and Paul, as laborers worthy of the full confidence of every believer. Now here this says, among those present at this meeting were some who had severely criticized the methods of labor followed by the apostles, upon whom rested the chief burden of carrying the gospel to the Gentile world. But during the council, their views of God's purpose had broadened and they had united with their brethren in making wise decisions and made possible the unification of the entire body of believers. Afterward, when it became apparent that the converts among Gentiles were increasing rapidly, there were a few of the leading brethren at Jerusalem who began to cherish anew their former prejudices against the methods of Paul and his associates. So what are they against? Paul's methods. Going on, it says, these prejudices strengthened with the passing of the years until some of the leaders determined that the work of preaching of the gospel must henceforth be conducted in accordance with their own ideas. If Paul would conform his methods to certain policies which they advocated, they would acknowledge and sustain his work. Otherwise, they could no longer look upon it with favor or grant it their support. These men had lost sight of the fact that God is the teacher of his people, that every worker in his course is to obtain an individual experience in following the divine leader, not looking to man for direct guidance, that his workers are to be molded and fashioned, not after man's ideas but after the similitude of the divine. Christ is the one who gives his disciples their work." End of quote. So, let us talk about methods of labor. Because the problem with the leaders in, among the Jews, the Christian leaders now, not the Jewish ones, the Christian leaders were, they did not like Paul's method of labor. They wanted his labor to conform to the policy that they had written down. Do we have such problems today? Well, to some degree, yes. But it's an individual problem, not necessarily a church problem. There are some churches that think that if people don't follow the certain methods that they have written down on how to do the work of the Lord, then they will not give them their support. You must counsel with us. You must tell us exactly what you are doing. You must follow exactly what we say. If not, we will discountenance you. We will not give you our support and we will talk you down and ensure that other people don't support you. That's basically what was happening to Paul. And like Ellen White said, 
these and like the spirit of prophecy said these men had lost sight of the fact that god is the teacher of his people that every worker in his course is to obtain an individual experience it's not a collective one an individual experience in following the divine leader not looking to man for direct guidance that his workers are to be molded and fashioned not after man's ideas but after the similitude of the divine this is a problem that we're having today also in the church of god those who are at the leading part of the work will tell men this is how we want you to do your work and they write down this is our working policy and if you don't follow this policy don't say you are part of us if you don't follow this particular policy you are not permitted to speak to our members and all of that you are just repeating the same thing that these men did to paul and distressed his life it was because of this that paul was taken to uh, prison he was almost he was almost killed that day if not that the roman soldiers came and delivered him we must learn this do not come on the seat as though you are god himself to tell people how to work and how not to work i've had direct experiences with elders in the church pastors who think that they are the ones to tell people the work that they should do brothers and sisters the question is asked politely to you who are you who are you to think that you are the one to tell others who are just like yourself servants of the lord disciples brothers in christ exactly how to work and if they don't follow your own principles which not is not necessarily something that we can say now that oh this is cocksure it is the word of god it is just different methods of labor and if you say they don't follow this particular method then they are not necessarily um, workers for god we must be careful that we do not repeat this particular attitude of the christian leaders at the time Reading from Pacific Union Recorder, November 17, 1904, paragraph 1 down to 6, it says, Christ is the one who gives his disciples their work. Read his answer to Peter when Peter asked him concerning the work of John. Lord, and what shall this man do? Peter asked. And Jesus answered, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Today, many are making the same mistake that Peter made. They are so busily engaged in trying to arrange their brother's work according to their own ideas that they neglect the work that God has placed in their hands. They lose a sense of the responsibility resting on them. Let us remember that one man may not understand the nature of the work that the next man has to do. He is not to feel that it is his place to tear to pieces what his brother is doing. He who attempts to unravel another man's work will find in his hands a tangle that he cannot straighten. Let every man stand in his lot and place, doing faithfully the work given him. It is the questioning, criticizing spirit that is cherished which puts men in hard places. Let men humble their souls before God, realizing how sinful it is to criticize and condemn. Satan has his snares prepared for the feet of the one who is eager to place himself where God has not placed him. How rapidly God's work will move forward if, when a man received the work from God, he would put his whole attention on the faithful performance of this work. End of quote. Again, reading from Testimonies, Volume 9, page 259, we are told that we have individual methods of labor. It reads, The leaders among God's people are to guard against the danger of condemning the methods of individual workers who are led by the Lord to do a special work that but few are fitted to do. Let brethren in responsibility be slow to criticize movements that are not in perfect harmony with their methods of labor. Let them never suppose that every plan should reflect their own personality. Let them not fear to trust another's methods, 
For by withholding their confidence from a brother laborer, who with humility and consecrated zeal is doing a special work in God's appointed way, they are retarding the advancement of the Lord's cause. End of quote. So, do you want to advance God's cause or do you want to retard it? That is the real question. Do you want to promote yourself or do you want to promote Jesus? If you want to promote Jesus, when you see another person laboring do in a different manner than yourself, then do not discourage just because the person is doing a certain kind of work that is different from yours. Some people labor as medical missionaries. Others labor just by writing down tracts. Others may use a website and just put articles there and share. Others may make YouTube videos and record them just with, to preach sermons. Then other people's method of labor might be to go on the streets asking people questions that will lead them to study a particular um, Bible passage or will just make them, at the end of the day, give them a tract or give them a book. And then there are still others who preach in buses and preach in public places. There are some who go around the streets and they preach with a megaphone. And then there are those who do open-air evangelism. There are those who go from house to house preaching to people. There are those who work as canvassers and they go selling books and while doing that, they preach the word of God to people. All these are various methods of labor. There are others who make researches and break down prophecies to people. And some break down messages of health and use that to lead people to God. Then there are those who expose the dangers and the of the things that are done in the darkness. Like Paul said, it is a shame to speak of these things, but then we must expose them. There are those who do that. They break down the things that are contained in the movies and in the music, explaining to people how these things are evil and telling them to come out of it. And there are those who will even travel. They may spend a lot of money. They travel to Jerusalem. They travel to various locations where the events that happened in the bible took place and while there they explain to people that this is what happened here and that and then using that they lead people into the truth i have listed so many methods of labor none of them is to be discouraged as far as we see that they are not going against the principle of god's word we must press together and not think that everybody must follow a particular way that one is working don't think that oh because you are doing the preaching of the word of god then the one who is going from house to house giving people natural remedies is not doing the work that is his method of labor as the lord has called him to do and then the other one who is preaching is having his own method of labor and the one who is doing the youtube videos of various kinds whether he's just preaching or asking questions to people on the streets and uploading them on youtube as videoing it and uploading it or just giving radio working on the radio station and giving messages there all these are different methods of labor let none discourage the other and call the other person and say no this is not the right way to work this is not the right way to work this is that same spirit that led paul to a problem and when you do that you are not advancing the lord's cause that was what happened to paul i will read again now from evangelism page 102 paragraph 5 it says we are different in temperament but united in spirit in our home we have no dissension no words of impatience my workers are different in temperament and their ways and manners are different but we blend in action and stand united in spirit seeking to help and strengthen one another we know that we cannot afford to be at variance because we differ in temperament we are god's little children and we ask him to help us to live not to please ourselves and to have our own way but to please and glorify him Going on, in paragraph 3 of the same Evangelism, page 102, we are told, Strive for supremacy makes manifest a spirit that, if cherished, will eventually shut out from the kingdom of God those who cherish it. 
The peace of Christ cannot dwell in the mind and heart of a workman who criticizes and finds fault with another workman simply because the other does not practice the method he thinks best or because he feels that he is not appreciated. The Lord never blesses him who criticizes and accuses his brethren for this is Satan's work. My brethren, try the wearing of Christ's yoke. Come down from your spiritual stilts and practice the grace of humility. Put away every evil surmising and be willing to see the value of the gifts God has bestowed on your brethren. End of quote. So in this case, we realize the consequence of criticizing. It says that it is, we read now that it is Satan's work and God, the peace of Christ will not dwell in you when you are doing that. That is just the message. So we need to make a change. Be careful, lest in your criticisms of another person's work, you lose the peace of Christ in your own life. Because we need to have this understanding that we have different individualities and there are various ways to work. There are some people whose own way of working is just by being social. They discuss with people and make friends. And after making friends, they start to study with them and lead them to Christ, which is even how Christ's method was. And it's the best method. Help the people in their needs, sympathize with them, win their confidence and then bid them follow me. That's a method. But there are still uh, many ways of exercising this particular method. Reading now from Evangelism, page 104, paragraph 1 and downward, it tells us insufficiency of one man's gifts. Let not one man feel that his gift alone is sufficient to the work of God, that he alone can carry through a series of meetings and give perfection to the work. His methods may be good, and yet varied gifts are essential. One man's mind is not to mold and fashion the work according to his special ideas. In order for the work to be built up strong and symmetrical, there is need of varied gifts and different agencies all under the Lord's direction. He will instruct the workers according to their several ability. Going on, it says, where there is a union of workers, there is opportunity for them to consult together, to pray together, to cooperate in labor. None should feel that they cannot link up with their brethren because they do not work in exactly the same line as they themselves do. Where one is weak, another strong. The Lord moves upon ministers who have varied capabilities that they may feed the flock of his heritage and with food convenient for them. They Listen to this now. It says, they will reveal truth on points that their brother laborer did not regard as essential. Where the work of ministering to the flock left entirely to one man, there will be deficiency in the results. In his providence, the Lord sends various workmen. One is strong on some essential points where another is weak. End of quote. I know some ministries, for example, coming out ministries, they focus on purity, moral purity, sexual purity. That is what their work is. That is the truth that God has revealed to them on that point. They regard it as essential. Don't say, oh, why are these people focusing on this? And then there's LED, light exposing darkness. They themselves focus on the media and how to expose the darkness that is in the media. And then there are others who focus just on health to speak about the health messages and then there are others who focus on doctrinal things and they speak about that mixing it with the practical and then there are those who focus on the commandments of God to talk about the practical way to live a holy life in preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. There are those whose work also is to explain prophecies. There are various areas that God will place it on the mind of different workers. They 
essential truths that they themselves feel so strongly about. Don't tell the person, oh, please focus on that which is essential. What you think is essential to you may not be essential to the other person. And that's, it's not as essential, not that it's not essential, but it's not as essential. God may make this brother or this sister to be so concerned about country living. And, and then may make another brother or sister to be so concerned about healthful living. And another to be so concerned about living a life of purity and holiness. And another about prophecy. Do not speak to any one of them and say, oh, you, you are focusing on minor things. Oh, let's focus on that which is essential. What is essential? Everything in the word of God is essential. But God makes it to be that one person may reveal truths on the point that their brother laborer did not regard as essential. That is evangelism, page 104, paragraph 3. This is what we must learn so that we do not work at cross purposes with God, but we work along with him. Having said that, we go back to the story of Paul, reading from Acts of the Apostles, the book, page 404, paragraph 1. These men who had told Paul to do this thing that he did, to change his manner of labor just to please the people, they were wrong. Now it says, The brethren hoped that Paul, by following the course suggested, might give a decisive contradiction to the false reports concerning him. They assured him that the decision of the former council concerning the Gentile converts and the ceremonial law still held good. But the advice now given was not consistent with that decision. The Spirit of God did not prompt this instruction. It was the fruit of cowardice. The leaders of the church in Jerusalem knew that by non-conformity to the ceremonial law, Christians would bring upon themselves their hatred of the Jews and expose themselves to persecution. The Sanhedrin was doing its utmost to hinder the progress of the gospel. Men were chosen by this body to follow up the apostles, especially Paul, and in every possible way to, uh, to oppose their work. Should the believers in Christ be condemned before the Sanhedrin as breakers of the law, they would suffer swift and severe punishment as apostates from the Jewish religion. In page 405, paragraph 1, we are told many of the Jews who had accepted the gospel still cherished a regard for the ceremonial law and were only too willing to make unwise concessions, hoping thus to gain the confidence of their countrymen, to remove their prejudice and to win them to faith in Christ as the world's redeemer. Paul realized that so long as many of the leading members of the church at Jerusalem should continue to cherish prejudice against him, they would work constantly to counteract his influence. He felt that if by any reasonable concession he, would, he could win them to the truth, he would remove a great obstacle to the success of the gospel in other places. But he was not authorized of God to concede as much as they asked. When we think of Paul's great desire to be in harmony with his brethren, his tenderness toward the weak in the faith, his reverence for the apostles who had been with Christ, and for James, the brother of the Lord, and his purpose to become all things to all men so far as he could without sacrificing principle. When we think of all of this, it is less surprising that he was constrained to deviate from the firm, decided course that he had hitherto followed. But instead of accomplishing the desired object, his efforts for conciliation only precipitated the crisis hastened his predicted sufferings and resulted in separating him from his brethren, depriving the church of one of its strongest pillars and bringing sorrow to Christian hearts in every land." End of quote. What is the lesson here? Would we say Paul made a mistake? Because Paul wanted to be all things to all men, 
Here is somebody who had no regard for the ceremonial law. Paul didn't have regard for it. He knew that the ceremonial law was done away with. He knew that the Passover represented the death of, of Jesus and that his body represented the unliving bread and that when he resurrected on the third day, it was the first fruits. He knew that 40 days later, the Pentecost that happened represented the feast of weeks that the Jews were still observing that was now meaningless. He knew that circumcision was meaningless. He knew that the new moons and the feast days and those holy days and morning and evening sacrifices and the lambs they were slain he knew that all of them were absolutely meaningless and he was never following them but because of this is christian brethren his firmness dropped for a while so that he would be in harmony with them it's because he wanted to be all things to all men and that's why we asked we look at it and say we can't necessarily fault him for this he wanted to be all things to all men he didn't want to be at variance with them but it hastened, like we saw, it hastened his predicted sufferings. It resulted in separating him from his brethren. The lesson for us is this. As much as we are trying to disarm prejudice in the minds of people, we should know where to draw the line. Do not take opportunity to remove prejudice and sacrifice principle. There was a lesson to be taught in the days of Paul, and that was that the ceremonial law was done away with. So why then? Will anybody concede to the ceremonial law when it was done away with? It wasn't necessary. That kind of concession was not necessary for Paul to follow because it will go against the message he was preaching. You cannot preach Christ and him crucified and still be following the ceremonial law. You cannot preach Christ and him crucified and our sins taken away by him and still have regard for lambs and new moons and feast days. You can't. And that concession was not necessary. So we learned that lesson. That even though we know that we are to disarm prejudice in the minds of people, it shouldn't take us to the point where it, because we want to disarm prejudice, we either refrain from doing something that is essential to do that will teach a very important lesson to do to the people, or rather, we now do something that we know we are not supposed to do. And that thing is going against the word of God. In the case of Paul, was it a sin? No, it was not a sin for him to have followed the ceremonial law at that time. But it was meaningless and it was sending a wrong message. As if he had regard for it, whereas he didn't. That was why that concession was not necessary. So that's the second lesson we learned. So in conclusion, we have understood that if we, like Paul, are going to be workers for the Lord, instead of focusing on the fact that the devil will be against you, we must remember that God will send his angels. It says in Contrit and Courage, page 354, paragraph 4, While the enemies of truth are on every side, watching the Lord's servants for evil, God will watch over them for good. He will be to them as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. In fact, when Paul stood before Annas and he spoke that day and he said everything he was saying, that night the Lord appeared to him and told him, Fear not, I am with you. Nothing will happen to you. Amen. And we also are not to be afraid. Let us press on, even though we are going to face opposition. Secondly, be careful not to become an accuser of the brethren. Allow people to work based on the way the Lord wants them to work, based on the built with method and with the message. Whatever message the Lord has impressed on their heart and whatever method that is in harmony with his will, let it be and do not be an accuser of the brethren. And thirdly, do not concede in just because you want to disarm prejudice and to be an, in harmony with people. Don't be careful how you do it that we do not, while disarm, trying to disarm prejudice, shoot ourselves on the foot by going against the message which we preach. 
that third lesson. I pray that the Lord will give us grace to put these things in practice and that to make us better Christians as we practice it. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for all that you have taught us now. Forgive us for the times we have stood as judges of our brethren and talking about their methods of labor and speaking against them, accusing. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, and give us the grace, Lord, to walk in the way of truth, to understand and appreciate the different methods of labor that exist. Help us, Lord, to revel in the knowledge that you will send your angels for good to watch over us and you'll be a shadow of a great rock to us in the weary land even while we are doing the work of the Lord. Give us the grace, Father, that we would also be among those who will stand firm to preach the word of God like Paul did, to understand the needs of the people and give them the message as it is in Jesus. Help us, Lord, that we will become more like our Lord Jesus Christ as we do these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.